Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. the podcast has started. Welcome to the three questions. Uh, Today, I get to talk to a very funny uh, and very unique and very uh, challenging comedic artist. Like you really do kind of get out there and mix it up. I'm talking about Jamie Loftus. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. The recent thing that you're doing right now is a Lolita podcast, which we will talk about more in because I don't want to jump the gun on that. Um, but you've been sort of, like I say, a lot of your work is very sort of like, I don't know if confrontational, but it definitely mixes it up in a way where it has a perspective that a lot of other comedy doesn't. Thank you. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm Which I think is really brave. And and to me, I watch some of the things you do and I it just makes my skin crawl because I'm so nervous. <laughs> I hate, yeah. I just... I mean, I've done that kind of work for the Conan show, like going out and doing remotes and making comedy out in the world. And it's just, it's the fact that I, well, I got hired for that job. And then it was like, oh yeah, by the way, you're going to learn how to do this. Like I never wanted to be like on comedy 60 minutes, you know, but but I ended up like, oh, I guess I got to do this. And the whole time that I've ever done remotes, I still... It's like the most like uh, anxiety I've ever had. You it's know, hor- it's like every time because I, I grew up watching you do that. And I always like was so I don't know. I, I love when people blend field work and comedy stuff. But every time it's like every time I'm actually doing it, it just feels like, oh, this is the last time. Like never again. This feels so bad. But I like it. But it feels yeah. it doesn't feel good when you're doing it. like it always feels like I like I need to stop because it's it's too uncomfortable and it's like hurting too much. I always to me, I always felt like going into a situation where it would be like going to the Miss America pageant. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that I didn't want to make waves or anything, but I just was like, you know, I obviously want to point out the ludicrousness of the Miss America pageant. And Mm -hmm. I tried to do that as much as I could without being completely didactic and performative about it. Like where it's just yeah. explicitly like, get a load of this archaic old wheezing beast, you know, this, this thing. Right. Um, I always think that's so like, it's so, cause you have always been able to do it really well. And not a lot of people can, where it feels like sometimes 
with field work, especially people show up and they're like, okay, all my job is to like witness how I don't like this and then just say that in as many ways as I can think of to say it, which can be funny. But then ultimately it's like you're punching in a lot of weird directions when you do that. And it's a very closed, like the attitude that you set is like the, the soil that you're planting in. And if you're, if you're going into this thing with a, I hate this, fuck this attitude, there's no room for growth. Like you can't, unless something magical happens and the whole thing wins you over, like all of a sudden I'm like, I'm a Miss America pageant acolyte. You know, uh, it's, it doesn't, it, it's. Like, I think I'll be a judge. Yeah. Everything you so know what? Cool. This, this is right. <laughs> I think I will learn to sing the song. Uh, the, there she is. Um, but yeah, but I always going into it, the feeling of dread, like riding in a passenger van to like mm. the second Woodstock, which I think in like 95 or something, just oh feeling God. like I'm going to, going to puke. Like, cause I just have to go out in the middle of all these people. Oh, and that's such like, a looming sense of doom too. Yes, cause it's like, yes. well, there's no way this is going to go the way that I want it to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, you know oh, what? Yeah. I, I want to start at the beginning. Uh, just okay. like, cause you're from the East coast. Yeah. Yeah. I'm from Brockton, Massachusetts. From Brockton, Massachusetts. And where is Brockton? I don't know Massachusetts that well. I've chosen not to, I've chosen to ignore that whole part of the country. That's honestly, I mean, it's a popular choice. Uh, <laughs> most people do. Uh, Brockton is from is like the South Shore of Massachusetts, kind of close to uh, Rhode Island, and oh, it's nice. great there. My whole family so is still there. It's beachy then. No, it's like not South Shore enough to be beachy. It's very. Uh, I don't even know. Like Brockton's just. I love it. It's a low income city. It's kind of L.A. Rivery. There's a large puddle. That is technically a bottle of water. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. The cement ditch yeah. that is the exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, now, uh, what did your folks do? What brought the cash in for the household? Uh, when I was really little, my dad was a hockey writer, like at a local newspaper in Quincy. Wow. For yeah, he he did it my entire life and just retired like two weeks ago. He did it forever and ever. Um, so he was a a local sports journalist and then my mom was, she, uh, was a stay at home mom for a while. She like ran this illegal daycare at our house where it was like, (laughs) so I feel like it's like, it happens and it's not legal, but it happens. It's Um, everyone knows somebody that did that. If you grew up in a, (laughs) you know, like in a, in a fairly, you know, like smaller size town or, you know. Everybody, I'm sure in big cities they do too, but I just, I think, oh yeah, yeah, I think I knew two different people that did that. Yeah, like, and my mom was just, like, she was the one in our neighborhood who did it. So she ran a daycare that was, like, me, my brother, and, like, eight of my cousins, and then she eventually went back to school and she became a teacher. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. It's funny because, like, your dad being a hockey writer, like a a regional hockey writer, is like yeah. the kind of job that people have on sitcoms. Like you don't expect someone <laughs> yeah. to have it in real life. Like it's like it he's a small big. town hockey writer. Like no, he isn't. No there, one's a small it's town. It's not possible. Yeah. And 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 he hates his job. And it's like that. <laughs> it no longer exists. The job no longer exists. But it did for for a bit. Oh, does it really no longer exist? Well, it was I. He kind of jumped out a little earlier than he wanted to. But it was just like local papers are just they. Uh, there's just kind of nothing there. So he, he, he made the jump into uh, oblivion. Oh, really? Yeah. 
Uh, He's doing great. Everyone's oh, good. doing great. Yeah. Good, good. Is he retired or has he just moved on to something else? I don't know. Kind of TBD. He's he's not like quite old. He's he's 62. So he's not. That oh, yeah, old. that's not. Yeah, that's not. so he, he wasn't quite ready to retire. Unless you're a fireman just, or a bus driver. You can't or a cop. You can't require, right, like retire that, that early. Has, yeah. Who's going to be taking care of and stuff. So he's figuring shit out. Fortunately, he never took a day off for my entire life. So he's wow. got a lot of vacation time to uh, <laughs> to figure it out. Wow. That's nice that they let it stock up. You know? Yeah, I guess so, up. yeah. Yeah. Now, are, do you have siblings? I think I think I know you have a brother, right? I mean, because yeah. I know I know your online life. So I, I have voyeuristically learned <laughs> things about you over time. I have um, a very online family. Yeah, I have a little brother. Yeah. As the older sister, did you were you in charge? Do you think? Kind of. I mean, there was a, yes, and like I, my brother and I have always been pretty close. But because my mom ran this daycare, it was like it was the two of us. But it was also like we existed within ten of us. Yes. Um. So it was. There were all sorts of like cousins dominating my little brother. I wasn't like it wasn't a solo job. I see. Uh, he was like the second. Like one of the youngest, so he was. You know, there were a ton of people bullying that kid. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and also probably taking care of him at different points and you know? nurturing as yeah, well. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But nobody wants to hear about the nurture. No, <laughs> they just want to hear about the cruelty of nature. Mm-hmm. And uh, what kind of kid were you? I mean, were you a funny kid? Um, I was a pretty shy, shy kid. Uh, I liked writing a lot i had like it was weird because when uh i like had a lot of ocd tendencies but i didn't know i didn't get like diagnosed with ocd till i was like in my 20s so i just did a lot of like i was a very habitual kid where my parents were like oh like she wants to be a writer but it was because i had this habit where i would like um i would like write down what everyone at school was wearing in a notebook every day which is so scary for a child to do, but like I had all these, like I liked to write things down. Was there but a I reason? I didn't know why. Was, oh, you didn't know why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you just, no, yeah, I just wow. was like, I need to, I need to document everything very carefully, or I'll die. Wow. And so that was like what I did. Like at what I age? Mean, uh, I remember getting in trouble for it for the first time in second grade. Um, so it was like it was pretty early where I just like had a notebook and would just I. Just I don't know. It's like what people were wearing. I would write down what was on TV every day on like a bunch of channels on every channel that interested me. I just copy out the TV guide, and so I just yeah I like paid very careful attention to like stupid things. (laughs) (laughs) That was scary because then when my teacher was like, "Why are you writing down you know what everyone's wearing every day?" Like it you know. That I don't know. I guess that I I don't know what the proper punishment for that is. But she, I don't think. Well, I mean, nowadays there wouldn't be a punishment. I don't think. Right. That's. You know, I hope not. Yeah. It's I mean, because it thing is to be punished for. It's a weird thing to be punished for, and it's also it's just like I put myself in the shoes of that teacher going, "Hey, Jamie, why did you do this?" And you go, "I don't know," and I, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, and if I I would try and question you more, but. You know, you end up learning when you deal with kids that when they say, I don't know, frequently, it really does mean that they have no idea. Like, yeah, like there's nothing to hide there. It was yeah. just like, I, this is just what I do. I don't yeah, know. <laughs> and and I and it's just also, too, it's like one of my pet peeves. Mm. 
growing up, and, and it's something I tried to do consciously as a parent, is that there's no respect for children's privacy, you know? Mm-hmm. And I understand sometimes, you know, like you ha- people have to kind of keep an eye on their kids' online life. Totally understand mm-hmm. that. But like just the notion that you can't, like, why is it anyone's business that you're writing down, down right. what everyone's, yeah. It's not hurting anybody. And right. it's not, I don't know. Yeah, I remember it like that specifically it was just confusing because you're just yeah. like, well, I guess that what that is is wrong, but like, I don't, no one can really explain to me why it's wrong. And mm-hmm. so, but I mean, my parents were always very like nice and supportive about it, even when they didn't, you know, know what to do with it. They were just like, oh, you like writing. And they yeah, were like, yeah. do, you, do you like clothes? And I was like, no, I, I don't care Not about really. <laughs> No, I just write down what everyone's wearing and that's what right, I do. Right. And I did it in this like freaky shorthand. So it did look kind of scary, but right. they were like, okay, she she likes to write. And so yeah. I just did stuff like that. And I like went to dance classes and school band and just like dork shit. Mm-hmm. I wore a back brace in middle school, like stuff like that. Oh, really? How come? Yeah. I had really bad scoliosis. Oh, wow. No one noticed until like... <laughs> the 11th hour it was like they found out when I was like 11 that I had really bad scoliosis and so I wore a back brace for four years until oh my god yeah almost 16 so it wasn't great set certain parts of my life back (laughs) oh well a what the fuck pediatrician I mean I know for Christ's sake I know my I and my mom was my mom really I had a very charismatic pediatrician. So my mom was like doing these mental gymnastics to be like, Kenny just didn't understand a child's spine. That's that's his job. I saw him until I was 21 years old, though. He never there was no comeuppance. He's still operating in Raynham to this day. (laughs) Is he really? Yeah. What oh, if I wow. said his last name and no, shut no. him down? No, he like a personally apologized to me. It was weird. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah, and the and a brace like that is such a formative thing. I mean Yeah. It's a it's, it's like a shitty comedy cliche. Yeah. You know, yeah. like the it's, back brace girl, you know? It was it's it really sucked. I, I was lucky that like I got a brace. This would have like when I was in middle school would have been like the mid 2000s and so it wasn't like a neck thing anymore it's just a plastic thing that you wear under your clothes mm-hmm. but I was like a really like gangly kid with like a gigantic torso <laughs> so it, it like looked fucking ridiculous yeah and um so yeah I mean it was I I, I am still kind of grateful that I didn't take more shit for it in, yeah. in junior high and high school, I you know it it definitely sucked, but I I feel like it could have been a lot worse. But it was like kind of as bad as it got was um, there was like a rumor going on about me that um, if, if someone shot me, I wouldn't die because I was wearing like <laughs> a bulletproof vest and uh. my clothes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> just like kind of cool. Like yeah, it was yeah. framed to not make me look like a loser. So I yeah, yeah. That. Well, were you able to do like, you know, gym class and sports and stuff? Yeah, I did dancing all through high school and growing up and stuff. So that ended up, I kind of doubled down on that once I started wearing a back brace because the only time you were really allowed to be out of it was if you were doing a physical activity. Uh So 
I started just doing as much as we could afford to do pretty much, especially when I was wearing a, like a daytime back brace. You have an hour of every day that like you as a 14 year old can choose to spend however you want. And the 23 other hours you have to wear it. And then you have like one hour where you can do whatever. So I really like tried to find ways to extend that hour uh, as much as I could. Right, right. With extensive. If I sign up for a three hour class, I can't just put it back on. Right, exactly. During your extensive hula lesson. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's got to be hip related, whatever this activity is. It's going to help. It's corrective. Like it's (laughs) just bullshit. But yeah. Does it hurt to have to wear a brace like that? Yeah, it was very uncomfortable. Um, I I tried to learn about like how much worse it used to be to make myself like feel a little better because it was whatever. If you're like a 12 year old who gets a back brace, every aunt or person in your life gives you a copy of Deanie by Judy Bloom. That's like a book about a girl that gets a back brace. Oh. Uh, but it's from the 70s. So it like sucked way worse for her. So I was like, yeah, okay, yeah. it's not that bad. But the thing that's the worst is you smell weird all the time, which is the worst feeling in the world. Because you're just sweating. Like, yeah. You yeah, have to wear yeah. these special t-shirts, but then you're sweating into the t-shirt, into the back brace, into your normal clothes. And it's just like beyond BO. It's different. Yeah. Um, and so it was just like you're kind of stinky and you're de- you're kind of uncomfortable. And also you're like I, I felt lucky that you couldn't really tell I was wearing it unless I was standing up. Um, so <laughs> so I was always like really conscious of like how if I could like hold myself a specific way to look like I wasn't wearing a body cast. I don't know. It really sucked. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my loves are growing? Now, because so much of your work has a very, and I would say self-identifying feminist aspect to it, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I always wonder, like, are your parents explicitly talking to you about feminist things and issues? What do you think that they gave you that sort of made you interested in bothering to stick out your neck for feminism? Because <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, it is taking on a task that you don't necessarily have to take on in life. It's the same with being political in any way. You are taking Mm -hmm. on, you know, like, well, I guess I'm going to open myself up for this. And and especially like to work, you know, in a feminist vein, I think especially can be hard in that way. And I, and I wonder how, how that came about. I don't, my parents were not like very, political like in any way really growing up but I just I think I I I was lucky that I grew up around a lot of like I had like my mom and my aunts and my cousins where it was like girls in our family weren't discouraged from doing anything um and it was always very like I feel lucky that I grew up in a house where it was like we didn't have a ton but my parents both really like cared about what they were doing and they wanted me to find something that I cared about doing. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think uh, it is weird. I, I think it was just like growing up with like people that were like passionate about what they liked and yeah. were understanding, even though it was like, what I mean, you know, my dad's like a hockey writer. It's not close to comedy at all. But yeah. like when I found something that I, I really cared about, he was like, oh, yeah, I've been making, you know, jack shit doing what I care about my whole life. You know, try it. Go for it. Yeah, and yeah. They're always, like, super supportive of it. It's definitely been, like, a journey with them. Because I didn't grow up in, like, an explicitly feminist family. I think I just, like, grew up around women who were doing most of the stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, college. What happens? Mm-hmm. What do you do? Uh, I didn't like it very much. I... So I, I went to Emerson College in Boston. I don't know. I just had this kind of rude awakening when I went to college where I didn't really realize that our family had like just enough money to be okay mm-hmm. until I left Brockton and was like at a school where I had to like I had to work full time in order to not have to drop out Um and then all of a sudden I was like surrounded by these like really privileged people who were my age and like didn't, I don't know. It just like took a while for it to even compute or make sense to me. So I like, I struggled in college where it was, I was just like working all the time and, and just a bajillion whatever different jobs to be able to stay in college. And then when I was actually there, it was like kind of hard to, connect with other people and so it was uh, but but I I did start you know in getting interested in comedy in that time so by the time I got out I was like okay I like had gotten interested in comedy and I'd gotten interested in radio and like local music and that was kind of what I left with but it wasn't like it wasn't a great experience where did you did you say where you went to college I uh, did I miss it Oh yeah, I went to Emerson in Boston. Emerson, okay, Emerson. Yeah. I I don't I didn't know if I missed it. And oh, please, yeah. uh, you may hear a dog now because <laughs> I I had to get I, I had I had to have her in the house today. Where I'm recording my, from. Mine's home. right behind. I I'm just like he could activate at any moment. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. No, somebody somebody's walking by the house, so she's growling and and doing 
which oh, someone online described so well as foffing or fuffing. Puff, puff, puff. You know that thing when someone walks. Woof, yeah. Puff, puff. I've never um, like the threat of a bark. It's yes, it's what she's doing. It's her letting know that she's well. Now she's going to go out the back. It's her letting everybody know. If you're walking by our house, you better not fuck with us. Not that they can hear or anything, but it's her, always on her mind. You Sending better that not. vibe out. Right, right. I'm sure, oh. you know, someone feels it somewhere. And A vague threat. Last night I was uh, out in the driveway mm-hmm. or in the garage putting away some Christmas decorations. Mm-hmm. And she was just kind of milling around the driveway. <laughs> and a FedEx truck pulled up and she chased the driver back to the truck. And oh I had my to, God. I, she's never done that before. And she's, she's like a year and a half years old, a oh, year and a half okay. old, but um, she's never done that before. She's, and she's generally friendly, but she is, you know, protective of home. Yeah. But I was just mortified and I was like, oh fuck. Now I can't just let her wander around. Cause if, you right. know. Uh, no one wants to be the person with the dog that fucked up once yeah yeah with the dog that bit a guy yeah yeah uh, yeah yeah we've had like little encounters where it was like oh shit but you know i I don't know our dog i'm just like my i don't need my dog to ever learn a thing except to like not hurt people right right (laughs) exactly i don't need him to know how to do literally anything except that whenever anybody's like you should do classes and stuff it's always weird to me when somebody has like so managed a dog that it becomes yeah. like a machine that ba- is just based on input and output and that you like erase any kind of sense of like dogness about them you know yeah it feels like, like the, they're like an overly trained dog's like personality kind of goes away right like right it's hidden makes me sad yeah no i mean and because it's you invite an animal into your house and is the fun of that that you have invited an animal like, and so mm-hmm. that you get to enjoy the animalness or is the point to control the animalness, which is like, no, the point is I want the chaos, you know? I like right. Like that's why I invited you here is yeah, to yeah. like mix shit up. Is to be an animal. <laughs> now, how long have you had, Sonny is your dog, right? How old, how long yeah. have you had him? Uh, we had him two years now. And he's like kind of cocker spaniel something? Something like that. Yeah. My yeah. uh my boyfriend was living in Boyle Heights and there were some some dog breeders in his neighborhood and so every once in a while there would be uh, a stray. And so we just found Sonny wandering around and uh no one was looking for him. And so now we just we have we have we've oh, had wow. him for two years and he's he's amazing. He's great. It w- was he grown when you got him or was he little? He was little. He was uh-huh. like he was little and he had like a few small health issues, which I'm guessing is why he all of a sudden wasn't um, a yeah. good breeding dog anymore. Yeah. Um, but he's yeah, like we we got we got him fixed, and he's just like the I don't know. I wasn't a big dog person um, growing up, and it like did I did a total 180 when we got him because he's just the best. Yeah, they are pretty. I mean, I if I hadn't had a dog through mm-hmm. the pandemic. I yeah, would, I would be like sixty percent more miserable than I, I am. Totally and I'm not agree. that I'm, miserable, yeah. but still, having done, there are just days when it's like, oh my god, thank God, I had this living right. thing that I have to feed and that I can hug. Yeah, like the life affirming aspect. Sometimes it's like my dog, like Sunny's the only per- like thing that makes me laugh all day. Like, yeah. 
when he does something stupid, like yeah. it's yeah, it it makes such a difference. I always am like, well, you know, Sonny had an amazing 2020 because he doesn't know what's going on and he was <laughs> never alone. So yeah, yeah. he had an amazing year. Yeah. So you're in college. You start to think, I'm going to do comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, was there a particular kind of comedy you wanted? And are you thinking like, this is what I'm going to do with my life? Or is it just kind of, eh, let's see what happens. Uh, it was a little bit of both. I did some comedy stuff at school, but then I started working at a comedy theater towards like the end of college mm-hmm. that was a lot. I, I originally wanted to do like uh, sketch comedy and that was like where I was focused and really loved. And I worked like the back counter at the theater to get classes and did that whole thing um, and then started doing stand up um as as well so i was just kind of like figuring out my voice and like what i liked to do at that theater and then in some of the it was it was like kind of i guess i don't know it was like an interesting time in boston comedy i guess where it was like there were there were women doing stand-up but it was like a couple and there were there was some underground stuff going on, but not that much. And like, it was an interesting in-betweeny time to be trying to figure, figure stuff out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was mostly at, I, I worked at improv Boston for like two years between college and then a little bit afterwards. Um, and they would let me, you know, put up like short plays I'd written or like try out a one person concept show. And we're just like really support like kind of too supportive of like a 21 year old um just doing a bunch of stupid stuff um so that was where I was like oh I really like doing this and found a space where I could like try things out um so so once I found there um I kind of worried about college a little bit less and just focused on finishing so I could work more on that well that's Uh, that's like such a blessing and that's better than college. Mm. I mean, you're going to learn. Yeah. You learn by doing, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. whether for me, because I went to film school and I did improv afterwards and I went to film school for two years Mm -hmm. and then interned and did film production, learned more in my first two weeks of working on an actual set, which was Mm -hmm. like, you know, uh, a bread commercial. You know, or or Wheaties commercials. It wasn't like I was making, you know, art films. Yeah. And, or was working on art films. But still, it, I mean, a film set is a film set, whether in many, many ways, you know, because yeah. it's all the same things. It's just Especially different. when it's all like streamlined and, and as efficient as a commercial, too. It's yes. Like that's yes. so regimented. And yeah, that's cool. Or as or inefficient as a commercial, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because one of the big realizations that I had as a grown up. And especially growing up with uh, my mom is a small business owner and she, you know, designs kitchens and installs them. And she basically, you know, and there was a couple like full houses that she subcontracted. So she's in the building trades and um, she ran her business by what I would refer to as the putting out fires method, which is, Mm. yeah, you know, oh, we got that order coming and oh, shit, I forgot that thing. And then it's all red alert. And. So you're either kind of sitting there in a reactive state or like, or reacting and going like, oh, shit. And I thought, oh, no, but when I get out in the world, it's not going to be as like rinky dink as this. It's like it's <laughs> going to be smooth and sophisticated and there's going to be all mm-hmm. kinds of capable people. That's just my parent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nope. Yeah. 
Nope. <laughs> the whole fucking world is putting out mm-hmm. fires. Yeah. I mean, some people are, have it together more than others, but you would not believe like at the network television level kind of shit, like where you're just like, oh my God, no one's in charge. Really? <laughs> no one's like saying anything. So, you know, it can be oh, easily man. exploited, but, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, but in, I've learned more working in, than in films and film school and the same thing with improv. Mm-hmm. I took a bunch of classes, yeah. but you don't learn anything until you get on stage and you're in front totally. of like a bunch of strangers and you got to deal with it. You got to like, you know, like, oh, shit, you know, do I yeah. care if they like this or not? Like, yeah, I think I do. And then it's you like, know? oh, wait, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's all that matters to me in the <laughs> right, world, it turns right, out. Right, <laughs> right, right. So, uh, yeah. um, do, I mean, are you, uh, do you have like people that you're looking at as, as, uh, as sort of models for the kind of work that you want to do? Uh, yeah, I, early on, I was really into, I, I, found out about Maria Bamford while I was still in high school and I was mm-hmm. just like a fan of hers generally and then when I started figuring out that I wanted to try comedy she was kind of who I was um looking to and um then like later on I found Chelsea Peretti and I was obsessed with Chelsea Peretti um yeah. all throughout college and then like other people I don't know I I was always like I I I did like people who mixed stuff a little bit and like um, I, I'm trying to think. Oh, I, I really liked the series of unfortunate events books. Uh-huh. That was like something that, that it doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't sound like a comedy influence, but it, it was for me where it was just like fine. It was a, whatever, like this huge narrative puzzle full of references yeah. that was funny and like did all this different stuff that I didn't know that you could do inside of a single medium right. that I really loved. And so I, I tried to like, it did not work, uh, but I tried to like build shows that would kind of be puzzly, and mm-hmm. that was like kind of what I was trying to do. And then I also did stuff that was just like fully gross and just like disgusting. And so those were the two things I, I was like, oh, I want to try to do really like complex stuff or just like the nastiest thing I could think of. And kind of those were the two things that I would yeah do. yeah, um, where I did like, a bit for ever where it was just like i was just eating dog food but i I was like oh but the joke makes sense so uh, i can just eat dog you know i just was eating dog food on stage for years and years while i was living in boston um and that was just what i was doing (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah why i mean is it just to to get a rise out of people yeah i think it was like especially i don't know i was in such a tiny little fishbowl where it felt like oh i'm like no one else is eating dog food, which is like, yeah, obviously no one else is right. eating dog food. That's that's fucking yeah. a stupid thing to do. Yeah, no um, one else is setting their face on fire either. I mean, <laughs> right, at least not right. on purpose. Right. So it like took me a while to like, I, I was doing like a lot of, I really liked body horror stuff. Yeah. Um, And it's good. It's, I love, I mean, I Everyone still, can relate. And either they're either they're into it or they are like, no, thank you. But they can relate and you know right away. Yep, and yep. like I so I really liked especially like when I was first starting to do solo stuff, I just would try almost any body horror concept I could think of. And then if it didn't work, it would just <laughs> feel horrible. And then but if it did work, I would just, you know, do it and do it and do it and do it. So I, I was like 
really fixated on finding that stuff, especially because in Boston, it, it's mostly just kind of like, you know, guys in their 30s. And so it, you know, if, yeah. if someone comes up and they're like, I'll butt chug anything, then it's like, well, <laughs> here it is. This is what I can bring to the table. I'm Here's 22 and I'll butt from chug Costco. anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh. Disgu- like disgusting was that, shit. That was, you would, you would butt chug things? Yeah, I was butt chugging things up until like three years ago. Uh, <laughs> I got really good at it. Um, and so I would just like fill all these concepts around butt chugging things or like um, just any, I don't know. I really, I, I still enjoy it. But like, yeah, yeah. Any, any body horror concept that I could, I could ground enough to justify doing it. Um I, I would try. And especially in Boston where there was like no consequence for something not working. Um, I would just, you know, try kind of whatever, um, right. whatever me and my friends could think of. We would, we would try at that theater. Did you ever ask yourself like, why am I doing this? Like, you know, why am I like, especially, and you're really, you know, in many ways exposing yourself. Yeah. You know, from going, I, I mean, is the, is this where the, the girl in the back brace kind of, you know, says, I'm going to take charge of this body of mine. I think so. Yeah. I think it was like, especially like when I was doing comedy in college, especially, I was like very, I always felt like I was just there because they needed a girl to be there. And so I, I felt like I don't know. I just had like a lot of um, insecurities and like imposter syndrome of like they I'm only here because I they need a girl to be here or someone's going to call them assholes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it, and and that, you know, I don't I don't I don't know how anyone actually felt about it. But once I was there, I wasn't really given anything to do. And so I really was just kind of standing there and feeling like I was hanging out when I did want to be performing and I did want to be contributing and there were just all these limiting factors. And so once I found a way like around that and I was like, oh, I don't need to like listen to what, whatever, like 10 people at my school that is like, you know, just full of these random rich kids like have to do. And like, there's another place I can go. And so I just had... Yeah, just like a lot of frustration and like uh, creative energy and like a bajillion things I had wanted to try over time that I had been told like, no, we're going to do this. No, we're going to do this. So once I found kind of like an area and like a creative outlet where I could try stuff, it was, I don't know. Yeah, it felt like almost like I had so much energy that I would try anything just because I wanted to like do something and I wanted to figure it out in a way that I felt like when I was at school, it just wasn't really possible to do. You had a job uh, at the Boston Globe. Was that? Yeah. Like, was that like your first kind of careery job out of college? Kind of. Yeah. I like I worked as a substitute teacher for a while, and then I worked at like this horrible like copywriting place. But yeah, I, I was working at between that comedy theater, and then I had a job at the Boston Globe where. It was like some it was like an online vertical of the Boston Globe where they just hired a bunch of uh, like 21 year olds for as like, you know, as cheap as they possibly could. Yes, of course. And then they would just 
you know, it, it was it was weird because some stuff I was writing was just full on clickbait was about nothing. Mm-hmm. And I would just comb through the same five websites and rewrite what they had written. But then they would also kind of let you go off and do local stories that were a little bit offbeat because they were just they just wanted engagement and they didn't really care how you did it. Right. So it was fun to be there for for part of it because I could like get paid to try some different like concepts out and I tried to do like durational ideas that were as long as it just had to be local and mm-hmm. other than that there was there wasn't a ton of oversight. Well, it's nice that you got a chance, you know, that you're doing creative, pretty creative stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, right off the bat, it's not, you know, it's it, it, it's not your dream come true, but you're still, you're starting to kind of find yourself in different mediums, which I imagine is. It was kinda, cool. Yeah. yeah and, and, and like working in a real, that was like my first and I guess kind of like only experience working in like a real newsroom where like most of the people around me were doing actual news report it yeah yeah and then they just had like these like stinky like college students kind of sequestered or like recent graduates kind of sequestered and they're like yeah you know jamie's gonna go see the same local production of shrek five times and we're gonna see how many times people will click on it and it was like that was like what i was doing and then there was like actual journalists in the room who probably you know hated us right 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 yeah and didn't and uh, tell how you lost the job because I I read how you <laughs> yeah. lost the job. Um, I lost the job because of my tweets. It's the only job I've lost because of tweets. But the um, yeah, I, I was doing all this like body horror, gross stuff. Yeah. While I was working there, kind of assuming that it no one I don't know that no one was checking, and then I got fired for um, tweeting uh, about coming blood at an open mic and. I like. Wasn't it was, it, I'm killing so bad that I'm I comes blood or something like that. Yes, that is what it was. Fantastic. Not even the grip, but it was like yeah. So so I got like taken aside by an editor who was like exhausted and was just like, "You need to take it down." And I I, don't, I was just like 22 and already had like j- recently just saved up enough money to move. Yeah, so I was like, "This is my moment. I'm gonna." double down and i was like no i'm not deleting <laughs> the blood come joke and they're like all right then yeah. and then they like sent me 15 other tweets that were like similarly gross and they were just like you have you have to go and so i did and then yeah. i moved here <laughs> oh you came out here that's what you you just did you have a something to come to or did you just nice no that was kind of i i was working um two full-time jobs at once for a while with the plan of eventually moving here when I could afford to. Um, And then that whole kind of disaster timed out with me like having just enough money to be able to leave. So I was like, okay, I guess um, I'll go. And I had like, I had, uh, I guess the idea of a manager maybe. Mm -hmm. And so then I just moved here and then um, started working at a bookstore. Um, why LA as opposed to New York? I don't really know. I mean, it was the only, I knew more people here, I guess, because the like Emerson uh, college has like a campus out here. So I Mm. knew a couple of people who had moved here. And so it was just kind of, 
And I also, I, I've had this whole thing where I'm like, I can't, I've never left Massachusetts, so I need to get as physically far away as I can, which is stupid, but that was where, where I kind of was at with it. So, so I moved here. Um, yeah. And then I just kind of started looking for a job and worked at, um, a bookstore and then I worked at Playboy magazine for almost a year. And that was, yeah, that was what I did when I moved here. And you were kind of writing like comedic pieces for Playboy, right? That and then they they let me do that, but I was technically there to be a research editor. So I was oh, mostly I just working with um yeah, working with actual journalists um to get their stories done, which was really awesome. Like it, it that was a experience I wasn't expecting to be good. Um, yeah, yeah. But it it was really cool to be able to like work with actual writers reporting on actual stories and feeling right, right. Like, invested in it. And then you started doing some video stuff, right? Online, didn't? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What was it called? Super, the super deluxe. Thing? Yeah, super deluxe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, there was so much good, weird content from that. From that, that was so. Little, yeah, that yeah. was like that was sad that that ended. That place was that place was like very, very, very fun. And that was, I mean, in some ways, that was like when they were like, "Oh, you've done body horror stuff," which is kind of how I like. Um, got to work there it was like someone saw me eating dog food on like the east side and they're like this girl eats dog food we should have a general with her and which is great <laughs> and so then i started doing stuff for them and that was really i mean that was when it was like okay we're like gonna there, there was you're like and again it's like they're not really paying you much to do it but it was the biggest audience i'd ever had access to before um and so it was th those videos were like truly it was just you would just pitch them the nastiest thing you could think of and then they would just say like yes here's 75 dollars to go and do it <laughs> and then you would, which was exciting yeah yeah yeah, yeah again you're learning you're learning and among like what are some of the things just to kind of run to give people an idea of like um one show i worked on was a like a parody of a, a beauty show uh where we would just go and kind of get they would pay for us to get like gross treatments that uh, celebrities would get. So I had, um, I had like, they would put like bull semen in my hair and then I would just have to sit there with bull semen in my hair. There was, um, I, I did one of those and you would have to just do it on camera. So it'd be like yoni eggs. Um, I did a leeches once, which was like <laughs> really, that was like almost a legal issue because my there's like le leeches I don't think are technically legal to be doing, but there was like this lady in Brentwood who would do yeah. it. Um, and her leeches, um, they, they sucked too hard and I didn't like my body didn't clot for <laughs> th like over a day. No shit. And really? It was like, what were you, what, what really? did you, did you have to go to the hospital or something or? No, they were, cause that was the other thing. They're like, don't go to the hospital unless you're really, really sick or the company's going to get in trouble because right. I'm not insured. I'm like a freelancer technically. Um, so they, <laughs> at the end of the leech thing, they like taped a diaper to the front of my body and they're like, this is going to help you clot. Um, 
And then I had to work for them again the next day doing like a butt chugging live stream. And so it was like I still had this like diaper taped to me. And then also you have like a funnel in your butt and there's someone like pouring milk into it. And it was just it was like it was really, really fun. But it was like (laughs) there were days where it was just like physically taxing. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> well, I like too that you that you use the second person when you said, and then you have a funnel in your butt, and someone is pouring milk in it. Like, no, I well, don't. You privilege. do. Yeah, that's yeah. A, <laughs> that's the privilege of having some corporate funding is you can that's afford what, a second person to hold your feet together and pour milk into the funnel, and they're paid <laughs> to be there. <laughs> and then you can find out if you're lactose intolerant that way, uh, <laughs> rather than the other way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you, you get that really good milk rush. <laughs> <laughs> it's truly like, I can't describe what it feels like, but it's just anytime after a stream like that, it was like, a, you just need a day to lay down afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> God, you're like Steve-O, you know? <laughs> you're like, what? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Very um, much the jackass portion of... <laughs> Now, have you just out of butt chug, just because I've never really talked to anyone who's butt chugged, uh, <laughs> did you ever butt chug alcohol and does it like really make you drunk or anything? Or have you just butt chugged an innocuous substances? I've heard that it does. Um, I've only butt chugged um, dairy, which is probably which might even be worse because it's like there's no fun part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like you're never <laughs> drunk. You never have fun. Like it's just it, it come just on. You get hurts. to shit milk. Uh, that's <laughs> not fun. That's not For fun. Days and days. Sometimes <laughs> while you're on tour. Like, um, <laughs> oh, no, I'm great. on stage shitting last night's milk. How embarrassing. <laughs> and now I can't. Where is this night's milk going to go? Um <laughs> I don't I wasn't I don't know I didn't want to get fucked up through that stuff I I tried to in my head I'm like in my head I was like this is this is art well yeah. like it was which it, it uh it wasn't but I needed to tell myself that and so I was like I don't I don't butt chug to get fucked up I like <laughs> butt chug for, for my craft for yeah yeah <laughs> I'm saying something about society yeah, I'm trying to make you think here. This isn't <laughs> so stupid. Uh, I, I love it. No, I just think it's, it's, it's you know, so much I of it is just it. like, if you're having fun, that's yeah. what. It's better than talking about yourself. Yeah, yeah. Gotta say. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Mobile.com. 
Can't you tell my love's a growing? Now you kind of stumbled into, and this is something that you're, you. I mean, a lot of people know you for this. Uh, you stumbled into a, a, a daring expose of Mensa. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, that, that bloated carcass was waiting to be popped, and you did it. Such uh, an active carcass, too. Yes. Like, well, tell <laughs> uh, tell me how that came about for people that don't know. And if you don't know, I mean, you should. People should just. Listen to the podcast, and also, uh, yeah, you're a wonderful writer. I mean, the written pieces that you have around that, Thank I, you so much. I just, um, there, you have your own voice, and and I, and I, I, there's a direction to what you do, but there's also lots of self analysis within your writing. That's very, but you always, you know, it makes it makes your points even more valid because you get to, you know, you're doing your own sort of devil's advocate work internally in a very funny and enjoyable way. Um, so, but uh, tell me, how does that happen? And why? Oh, my God. Why? I, I'm no closer to knowing why. But I, it felt like that I, I was, I don't know. I had been, like, working kind of, like, not journalism, but, like, adjacent for a bit where it was, like, I would do stuff for Playboy where I was, like, it was field work, but it wasn't like actually investigating anything. It was just right. showing up. Right. Um, but yeah, for Mensa, I, I it was supposed to be the same thing where I was just supposed to show up and take the test and write about, okay, I took the test. This is what it's like. Um, and then when I ended up kind of like eking my way in and immediately it was like, oh, there's uh, this group, like this secret Facebook group. Um, that's like a pretty large portion of the American um, Mensa society that's like formally endorsed by the organization. And it's just like an online hate group. And there's all this controversy around it. And they found this stupid thing I wrote about like, oh, look at me. I'm taking the Mensa test. I'm so funny. And then they were like, <laughs> let's kill her, you know. And so, um, yeah, once that presented itself, I was like, okay, Um I can continue to fuck with them, which, you know, would have played out one way or, or another or or I was like, OK, or I can actually try to apply um, research skills I have and try to figure out what's actually what it actually is and and try to um, figure it out because I didn't want to. I mean, yeah, kind of going back to like what we were talking about at, at the beginning of like I didn't I, I felt myself approaching it at the beginning of like pointing and laughing and being like oh look how i think this is dumb let me talk about how dumb it is um and that's such like a short you know that's never gonna last or in any meaningful mm -hmm. way so i yeah I, I tried to kind of um reevaluate how i was looking at it and be like okay well what what is actually going on and like you know am i you know to what degree am i fucked up for having even like poked this carcass in the first place and and what is it? So, so it kind of escalated from there. Yeah, yeah, and I think it, it's an interesting shift to see it, especially if you read the the sectioned pieces that were in uh, what magazine online? It was in, uh, it was in paste. And paste. Um, mm. If you look at those articles too, in the first one, the first one is very funny, but it is like, and you even say in a later one that you were sort of in persona, like you yeah. are kind of like a little swaggery and like. 
this came up as a lark and let's do this, which, you know, you can, as a reader, you're like, yay. But then as you go into it, it's like, oh yeah, but this is, this is real, you know, which I, I think is always nice to remember, especially when you're making comedy or entertainment uh, involving real people. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like if you don't remind people these are real people and that they're just like punchlines for you and there's so much of that out there Mm that it's just it's uh, it's it's cheap and shitty. And as much as it's a harrowing and really, truly harrowing thing, it's it ends up being fascinating and you end up feeling like exhausted for you, you know, and (laughs) uh, has there been any sort of like larger thing that happened because of that? Or did it just kind of end up the way you describe it on the podcast? Uh, There have been things that have happened kind of down the line where I didn't get as much negative blowback as I was expecting. I was kind of like, oh, it's going to be another kind of huge wave of stuff the way it was kind of at the beginning. But that didn't really happen because I I knew going into it that I was not the only person that had experienced it and had probably experienced it on a lesser degree than other people in the group because there was such a history of like racism and transphobia inside of that group as well. Um, So I ended up talking to a lot of people who had had similar experiences. And then the most recent update I'm aware of is that they they delegitimized, the the group still exists, but it's not like an official Mensa group uh, the way it used to be. It ended up, I think that's my legacy. They no longer have a little check mark next to their name. They're just a regular old hate group now. So I think, I guess, but that was fun because there were, um, this was, I think, over the summer, there were some publicly Zoom uh, Mensa meetings that were going on that someone sent to me, like sent me the link to, um, because it was like people who were in charge of that group uh, arguing why the group should remain an official part. And they were, they were, they were trying to delegitimize the the podcast and, and the, the stuff I'd written. And it's always the same thing when someone wants to delegitimize something I said. They're like, this woman butt chugs things on a stage and you're <laughs> supposed to take her word for this? It's just ridiculous. And so that was fun to watch play out in an official Mensa meeting was um, <laughs> butt chugging got a shout out. <laughs> <laughs> the first appearance of butt chugging in yeah. Mensa minutes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that's my that's my big victory. Well, that's good. You can, yeah, the people always will have that over you. <laughs> it's good that they have that. Yeah. Chugging. <laughs> uh, now, your latest podcast is a very extensive. I haven't listened to it. I I, I plan on it. Um, but it's a very extensive uh, look into Lolita. Yeah. Uh, the book, the movies, the effect on culture. Uh, mm-hmm. And tell me, tell me the inspiration for that. Um, it started, I, I've been wanting to do something with Lolita as an, like, just for a long time. And it was like, I'm never going to have more time to focus on a single topic than right, right now. So I was like, okay, I guess, you know, if, if it works out, like I, I would like to do it. Um, it, it ties in partially to like, I read Lolita way too young. I read it when I was 12 Oh boy! and I read it at the suggestion of Lemony Snicket, like he recommended it in a kid's magazine. So I know all these kids who read Lolita in the mid-2000s because, like, edgelord Lemony Snicket was like, Whoa. hey, kids, 
read Lolita. You'll, oh my you'll love God. it. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I felt like I had like, there have been multiple points where I'm like, I must have made that up. There's no way. But I've, I've like received emails from a ton of people that are like, he really did do that. Didn't he? Um, wow. Like in Nickelodeon magazine or something. And like, hiding behind yeah. a pseudonym when he does it. Too. I'm unbelievable. Lemony. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it, it came from, from, uh, there and just well when you read it what was what was your reaction to reading it when you were 12 i i mean i i was confused by it but i very much kind of took it at face value where like the cover of the book said it was a love story and so i was like okay it's a love story um and even though there were parts of the book that was like oh that's gross and like i wouldn't want that to happen to me even though like whatever, if you're a 12 year old girl, you have crushes on older people, but the girl in the book is miserable, but you're like, but it's a love story because they said so. And then mm-hmm. I watched one of the movies. Um, cause there was the, the 1997 movie was always free on YouTube. Like even now, for some reason, it's always up for free on YouTube. So I watched it and that movie was very like a love story. And so I'm like, yeah. well, I guess, I guess this is what it is. And so I was like very fixated on it because I didn't get it, but I, I really wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so that was just like I had been thinking and I, and I found myself like saying it, it was my favorite book because it's like one of those books that people say is their favorite book. Yeah. Um, and then after a while, I'm like, I think I'm full of shit. Like, what am I actually saying here? Yeah. Um. And so, yeah, I just wanted to go back into it and, and find out, you know, what was the book actually saying and um, why is the takeaway so, so romantic when that's not even really what the book is about? No, that's not the point either. You yeah. Know, yeah. I mean, I always felt, I mean, and I haven't read the, I only think I read it once because that sounds like mm-hmm. me to only read something <laughs> once. Uh, because I would then I'm like, why would I do that again? Um, yeah, but I, when I, I was probably in my twenties when I read it and I just Mm -hmm. remember thinking, you know, it's an anti-hero. You're, you're supposed to be like attracted, repulsed, like, you know, to this, to this character and this horrible thing is being written about in such a beautifully crafted way. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing it through the fucked up perspective of this fucked up guy mm-hmm. but to take away from it that like it's sexy and fun i think is sort of like that's you you are 180 degrees away from from what, what you're the, spo- yeah from like yeah. what's being yeah said where it's like i mean reading the book back now it's like oh it's absolutely indisputably about abuse and like yes. abusing a child and that like the the like trick that the book pulls off of trying to make you empathize with an abuser is like really ambitious and and the writing is beautiful. But yeah, it it was like, I guess one of the things that surprised me when I was kind of getting ready to, to write this show out was like how quickly that switch happened. I assumed it sort of happened over time of like people misremembering it, but it's almost right away where um, critics are like, and, and, you know, they just kind of take the abuser's word at like face value starting from from go yeah and 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 so it's kind of studying that the legacy of it where it's like even like vladimir Nabokov, like over and over and over is like 
I don't know what you guys are talking about. Yeah, like, yeah. This is about a really terrible, sick person. Um, but just like watching how people of different eras have misinterpreted it in a way that is like really of their time. Um, yeah, it's like it. It is like a, a maddening thing to like think about all day. But but it's been really interesting. I mean, there's like there's Broadway musicals of it. Like it's just so it goes so much further than I thought that it would. Is that the main thing that surprised you in, in doing research on it and thinking about it? Yeah, I mean, it's I I, I guess yeah. It, it's how often and how quickly it was misinterpreted, and then just everyone ran with it. And it's just kind of, I feel like it's just almost, um, uh, in a nutshell, just like how quickly people will jump to blame a victim to the point where it will become like this cultural shorthand for like someone who is to blame for the abuse they're receiving, where I'm working right now on like um, writing an episode where the Long Island Lolita and like Amy Fisher is referenced a little bit, where you know, by the 90s, when you said Lolita, you're kind of just referencing a young person who is being framed as like to blame for what's happening to them. And like, Mm -hmm. any abuse they're receiving must be because they are somehow, you know, devious or evil. Seductress. Yeah, exactly. And, and kind of tracing how that has affected people, including like, people that I mean, it's like affected me in a way I didn't even realize um because it became so kind of cooked into um like pop culture shorthand where it's mm-hmm. like it's just everywhere and, and what so, yeah and like what yeah. is sexy and it's like yeah you know like you know uh, like i always think those heart-shaped sunglasses i always mm-hmm. think like oh that puts you in mind of that book where that 40 year old man you know had a sexual relationship with a 13 year old like molest a 12 year old 12 year old girl for like years that's what, that's what those sexy glasses make me think of you know right right and yeah i mean the ugh, it's been like consuming my head for months and months but yeah i mean even those heart-shaped sunglasses are like they're not in the book and they're not even in the movie they're just on the movie poster yeah but people see the poster and it's that's kind of like where I feel like people keep getting stuck and it's not their fault. You know, it's like not like everyone has a ton of time to do a deep read of (laughs) Lolita. Like that's, that's a ridiculous expectation, but just the fact that it's, it's so marketing driven and like all of the misinterpretations are kind of made in order to make the story profitable. And um, because, you know, the story about child sex abuse is, is not, necessarily a money maker um yeah. so yeah i don't know i've just been in 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 that headspace and we're a little more than halfway through it oh wow yeah. um so then what's the that called uh, it's called lolita podcast oh, it's just a lot think of a better name for it that's pretty good you know yeah. i mean yeah no thinking of cute name usually is like yeah just call it the lolita podcast yeah i'm like that's yeah. what people will search if they want to listen to it anyways so. yeah um well uh have you got anything else going on that you that you're doing right now i mean have you what it what's your what's your master plan uh yes i like i don't know i don't even know really how to (laughs) just like i i just i want to be able to take research that i've done in any area and kind of 
use it to build a narrative show. That's like what I would really, really love to do is because um, I, I that's kind of what I do with my one person shows is like do a lot of deep research and then build a character out of that research and kind of mm-hmm. build a world from there. Um, and so that's that's like what I would really like to do down the line is is find something I find interesting, learn everything I possibly can about it and then just kind of build it from there. So that's yeah. great. Um, well, the, the third question of the three, and when, thank you so much for spending this time with me. Yeah, the course. third question is, is what have you learned? I mean, do you have, I imagine there's people that come to you for advice or, you know, yeah, you know, I mean, um, for Christ's sake, there's a pandemic. You've got to f- been thinking about what this all means <laughs> at some point. I, Asking Sonny, Sonny, what does it mean? Just like holding Sonny's tiny little dog skull in my hands, <laughs> demanding answers. Tell me. He's been really, you know, he's been, he's really, he's really killed it this time. He's slept in so many different uh, positions in the space of <laughs> this recording. Yeah, I think, I guess the the main takeaway of like, especially with like the more recent work I've I've been excited about doing is like, I, I used to get a lot of advice to like, kind of stay in one lane or like kind of choose a lane of like, do you want to be a TV writer? Like, do you want to work writing for like a, a place like um, where you can do comedy writing? That's also kind of journalism. And I just, it wasn't like a super conscious decision, but I just kind of, ne- I just decided to ignore that uh, advice and just um, do things that I thought was interesting and that like I've, I felt strongly about and, you and then just kind of like find people who who could help me build that out so um yeah i guess i just learned to like ignore people who told me to stay in one lane because it's never that advice has never helped me <laughs> so yeah 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 has doing the shows that you've been doing and, and you know and sort of like really trying to like like doing probably a, a higher level of sort of you know like of having a point of view than a lot of people's shows do because you know i mean a lot of comedy is just kind of i thought of some funny stuff about stuff that happened but i mean yours Mm -hmm. is fairly pointed difficult thorny issues you know that you end up making fun and entertaining um which maybe you shouldn't uh (laughs) (laughs) no i'm but is there something that you learned about yourself in this process that surprised you i mean is, is there some aspect of the work that you've done where you're like happy with the uh, formation, you know, is something that has happened or less than happy, you know, from something that's come through it? Yeah, I I guess it's like I I have found a lot more um, fulfillment and feeling closer to like making work that I'm I'm really happier with when it's something that is based in trying to understand other people, like trying to I, I definitely when I started doing comedy, I was not like thinking like, well, how can I approach something with empathy that is still something that makes me laugh where now that's like one of the most important things to me when I'm going into something new, especially with something like Lolita podcast or even like kind of what I learned throughout the Mensa process was like, I am not going to. Not only am I not going to take much away from it, but like anyone who encounters this isn't going to take anything away from it if I don't make like a concerted effort to 
fully understand something. And usually, like, almost every time, the more fully I understand something, the funnier I feel like the end product is. Because it's like, you know, you can make fun of the surface level of something all day, but kind of, you know, anyone can do that. But I've I've found a lot of fulfillment in, like, really trying to fully understand something before I, um, you know, tear it to shreds. Because yeah. then it's, I don't know, done a little more with love and not just out of, right. like, anger or um, not understanding. I think that, well, I think that's a natural human mechanism of the object of a joke or the if you want to call them the brunt of a joke we mm. identify with them like we're yeah probably more so than the joker so like you are kind of you know it's good that you're sort of thinking about because you sort of then earn the right to make fun of them you know what i mean because you kind of okay, i hope so <laughs> well you know what i mean i mean it's because you kind of you you like you took the time you're not just coming and going Look at these nerds with their brains, right. like, you know. I've spent time with these nerds, and they're really fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> and I also, like, I don't know. I studied really hard for that ridiculous test. <laughs> like, <laughs> did my time. Uh, well, you've, but you know you can do it. You've always yes. got that. I could be in Mensa. She screamed out into the night. Uh, <laughs> If I wanted to. It's just being willing to wake up to drive to Pasadena at 6 a.m. to to try. Take a test. Take a test. Voluntarily take a test. Like Pay pay someone else to take a test. It's not okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jamie, uh, thank you so much uh, for coming on and and, uh, entertaining us. and, um, and, and, And good luck. I hope you get to just keep exploring and growing and and because uh, you do great work thank you so much thank you You're so welcome. much for having me this like means the world oh great i'm glad yeah. all right everybody uh that's it go away the podcast is <laughs> over um, we'll see you next week on the three questions god willing the Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It's produced by me, Kevin Bartelt, executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Chris Bannon and Colin Anderson at Earwolf. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, associate produced by Jen Samples and Galitza Hayek, and engineered by Will Beckton. And if you haven't already, make sure to rate and review The Three Questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. This has been... A Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.